Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. Today's episode is a deep dive on schizotypal personality disorder. Now, I'm guessing that some of you are thinking, well, this is an obscure personality disorder that I don't really need need to know anything about, right? Well, you're wrong about that. (laughs) I always want to do that where I ask a question and then I just say, you're wrong. Well, and honestly, I was wrong too. It's taken me 14 and a half years of this podcast to finally get to this topic. And that was because I wasn't really prioritizing it. So I was wrong too. I should have prioritized it a long time ago. And here's why. One is that it's way more common than I realized and maybe some of y'all knew. Somewhere upwards of four or five percent of at least the population in the United States, perhaps the world, suffers from schizotypal personality disorder. That's a lot of people. That's one of the most common personality disorders. You know, one in 25, one in 20 people, you know, say conservatively one in one in 30 individuals would qualify for the label of schizotypal personality disorder. There's a very good chance that you know someone who has this, or you might have it yourself. You might even have traits of it yourself. That was another thing about this was I started to recognize that people, some people close to me, I think are at least on the spectrum of this personality disorder. And I never even knew this was a thing. And it really makes a lot of sense. It really helps to understand other people in my personal life, really. Another interesting detail that I've learned in doing this deep dive is that many serial killers have been diagnosed with schizotypal personality disorder. Jeffrey Dahmer, one of the Columbine killers, even the QAnon shaman, if you know who that is, has been diagnosed with schizotypal and dozens of other serial killers, by the way. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not equating schizotypal with being a serial serial killer at all. Statistics don't support that notion at all. So I don't want that stigma to be lingering here. But I I just want to point that out, that it's an interesting detail that I'll get into in this deep dive. Also, another interesting detail about schizotypal is it's probably the most mispronounced word in psychology. People pronounce it in all sorts of ways, which I will get to. And I'm actually going to review different YouTubers and how they pronounce it because it's all over the board. (laughs) But yeah, I would challenge anyone to come up with a word in psychology that has such a variety of pronunciations, which I'll get into in a second. So another thing that I think will happen as you're listening to this deep dive is that you will have an aha moment of some sort, because I've had many, not only in regards to this disorder and seeing it in people that I've treated, seeing it in people that I know in my personal life and going, oh, okay, I, I understand now. But also in society, there are many implications, particularly online with conspiracy theories, QAnon shaman, these kinds of people, that I think has a lot to do with schizotypal personality disorder or schizotypal traits. Another thing that is very illuminating when we do a deep dive on schizotypal is that you learn a lot about the differentials, the diagnoses that are similar to schizotypal, such as schizophrenia or paranoid personality disorder. There are a lot of things that sort of orbit around schizotypal that you need to understand to contrast it with, but also because to understand schizotypal, it helps to understand these other labels, and we're going to get into that. Another thing about these deep dives in general that is really useful to me and perhaps to you, I hope for you, is that it allows me to really go deep into the symptoms and the experience and 
the way it looks when people suffer from these disorders, to really contemplate what's going on there. Because when you hear people talk about these disorders, even in graduate school, but particularly online, the way that people talk about it, you know, they list the symptoms and they might provide some examples. But you walk away, in my opinion, with a pretty surface understanding of what these disorders are. It's sort of like, you know, my whole thing about borderline. When you go online and you hear people talk about borderline, they'll, they'll list the symptoms. But you don't really understand where it comes from until, in my mind, in my opinion, until you understand at least a model of understanding how it develops, right? That, for example, with borderline, you understand the early childhood traumas of betrayal and abandonment and the schemas that are developed and the defenses that are developed. And then it, it, it all makes sense as to why these individuals, to varying degrees, will exhibit the behaviors that they do when they're an adult. And the same goes for schizotypal. It's a personality disorder like borderline. Borderline and thus can be conceptualized as deriving from early childhood development. There are genetic factors and biological factors as well, according to research, which I'll get into, as with borderline. Anyway, my point is, is that for me personally, when I do these deep dives, it is just this really rich experience. I walk away with a really felt sense, not just this list of symptoms of what the disorder is like and why it exists in a population, why it has existed. How, how you know we we've known about this for a long time. It's one of the first observed things that uh, people were observing in our field. So that's what I'm going to talk about in this deep dive. I'm going to go over the symptoms, obviously, with real life descriptions from people who just who actually suffer from schizotypal personality disorder. I'm going to talk about my own conceptualization of the symptoms, along with the DSM, along with how do you assess the diagnosis. I'm going to provide some items from some measures that will, uh, you know, if you answer yes to this amount, then it indicates that you there's a chance that you might be suffering from this disorder. And also, I have kind of a hot take on, I have kind of a, a criticism of the DSM, which shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, the DSM has its issues. I think it's a good tool. It's the best one, I think, out there in terms of what we have available to us. And it, it has a lot of strengths, a lot of positives. But, you know, there are some issues, and I've criticized it many times before. But I think what schizotypal, in my opinion, they really miss the mark because, and, and I'll get into that uh, later on. And I think it really makes it confusing, not only for clinicians, but also for researchers and, and for lay people because of this problem with the DSM. And the, and the DSM reflects the consensus within the research community that I think is hope, hopefully changing. I don't know. It, it's, it's always hard to know what's happening in my field. I'm going to go into the cause, the etiology, the, the hypotheses, the theories as to why schizotypal develops in the first place. You know, what's the science? What's the evidence? I'm going to talk about famous cases. I didn't realize that so many famous people have been labeled with this disorder, not only posthumously, but also during their lifetime and maybe even diagnosed with it before they became famous, you know, like some of the serial killers that I was talking about. It's not just people on the internet saying that person has this. It's actually these individuals being diagnosed and then later on they do something that produces fame in their life. I'm going to talk about real cases from people with schizotypal themselves as they describe what it's like to have this. I think that's when you really start to understand what the disorder is like. Of course, we're going to talk about comorbidities, 
you know, co-occurring disorders, differentials, or diagnoses that we want to differentiate from schizotypal because there are some overlap or some confusion as to what would differentiate schizotypal from, say, something like schizoaffective or schizophrenia. Also, I'm going to talk about the history of schizotypal, which is interesting. Of course, I'm going to be talking about a lot of research, empirical, empirical research. I'll talk about treatment, of course, and I'm also going to read some of your emails because I've been compiling emails from y'all about schizotypal. This is part of my long-standing series on personality disorders that I've been working on for several years. I have uh, had deep dives on borderline, narcissism, passive-aggressive, dependent, avoidant, histrionic, obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. In the future, I want to do deep dives on schizoid, paranoid, antisocial, psychopathic, sadistic. Some of you might know that some of the things that I just listed are not actually included in the DSM anymore, but I think that they should be particularly sadistic and passive-aggressive. Okay, so I hope you'll indulge me as I go down this rabbit hole of how do you pronounce this, but I feel like that's one of the first things we should do, even before we look at the symptoms, right? How do you pronounce this disorder in the DSM? How do you pronounce this word that has been in our field for over 70 years? And you could argue it's been in our field for even longer than that, the derivatives of the word, which I'll get into later. So how do, how do we figure out how to pronounce something? Well, we go to the internet, right? Well, the first thing, let's Google schizotypal pr- pronunciation. And here's what Google says. As soon as you will uh, you know, type that in, it'll say this. Schizotypal. 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 Let's look at the syllables of schizotypal. So the first syllable is skit versus skit or ski. So you will hear all three of the, so you have that first syllable, right? Some people pronounce it skit, like schizotypal. You hear that T in there, schizotypal, or ski without a T sound, so schizotypal. Or you will hear people pronounce it ski, as in ski. Schizotypal. So all three of those are, I guess, available to us. The second syllable is also pronounced in multiple ways. You have the schizza. You hear what I'm saying. I say schizza, schizotypal. And then you also hear zo, schizotypal. Then the third syllable, you will hear t or tie. So you will hear schizotypal or schizotypal. What did I say? Yeah, schizotypal or schizotypal. The last syllable, pull, is always just pull. So you have schizotypal, schizotypal, schizotypal. You have schizotypal, schizotypal. You have schizotypal, 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 schizotypal. There's so many options. I mean, so it's three times two times two times one. So work your math out on that one. Okay, so the second thing you do is you go to the website that says, you know, how do you pronounce something? There's a website that says, how do you pronounce? So let's go and see what they say. Uh, the top answer is this one. Schizotypal. 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 So that's different, right, than what Google says. Google says schizotypal. And then this other website says schizotypal. Schizo. So they do that T sound, right? And then let's go down. Schizotypal. 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 Hear that? Schizotypal. Schizotypal. 
tipple. Schizotipple. So now the third thing we can do is just go to the various different YouTubers and see how they're pronouncing it, because sometimes we want to find a consensus there. And of course, you got to go to the the big YouTubers on psychology, Dr. Todd Grande, whom I've talked with before. Nice fella. Let's see how he pronounces it. For schizotypal personality disorder. Schizotypal. Yeah, he's saying it real Okay, so now let's look at this other individual, Dr. Ben Michaels. He has a YouTube channel called One Minute Diagnosis. Let's see how he pronounces it. Today I'll be talking about schizotypal personality. Schizotypal. So I think he has the T in there. About schizotypal personality disorder. Okay, so now let's go to someone named Lauren. She is on YouTube. A YouTube channel called Living Well with Schizophrenia. And she says, Hi, my name is Lauren, and I live with schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. And so she has a video called Nine Signs of Skip- Schizotypal. Let's see how she pronounces it. In today's video, we are going to be exploring what schizotypal personality Schizotypal. So, of course, we have to go to Dr. Romani Dervasala on YouTube. Let's see how she pronounces it. The second one is that people with schizotypal personality. Schizotypal. So we hear the tie in there. Schizotypal. Now let's go to the YouTube channel called Con Academic Medicine. Let's see what they say. Schizotypal personality. Schizotypal. Schizotypal. Now, of course, let's go to Katie Morton. How does she pronounce it on YouTube? Today we're going to talk about schizotypal. Per- schizotypal. Schizo. So, so no T in there. And of course, we have to go to Dr. Tracy Marks. Let's see how she pronounces it. To talk about schizotypal personality disorder. Schizotypal. You hear that ski in there. There's so many different ways. And if the psychologists and the people with doctorates on YouTube pronounced it one way, then I would say, oh, well, let's go with that. But it's all over the board. But for me, I don't like to leave out the T for some reason, like schizophrenia. For some, I, There's no T in the word schizophrenia or schizotypal, but schiz- <laughs> no, I'm saying it's like schizotypal. There's a t- to me, there's a T in there, schizophrenia. There's no T in the word, but I, I, I feel like I, why is the T sound? I'm sure it has something to do with the origin of the word, some sort of thing. Maybe is it German? I'm not quite sure. And then schizo. I don't want to say schizo. Zotypal, that sounds funny. Schizza, schizophrenia, schizza typal. And then I'm I'm okay with schizotypal. Schizotypal, that that I feel like that's something I hear a lot. But I'm not gonna say schizo, and I'm not gonna say schiza, and I'm not gonna say schiz. I'm gonna say anyway, so let's move forward. And then of course you have to go to Webster, Miriam Webster Dictionary, see how they pronounce it. Schizotypal. 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 So, I don't know. Merriam-Webster, I grew up with that being the end-all, be-all. So, maybe I should just say schizotypal. I don't know. To me, schizotypal, schizotypal, they both sound right. The other ones sound weird. But I'm guessing that it's okay that people... Okay, I looked it up, and apparently the T sound in schizo is what I figured, is that in German, when you have a Z, it makes a T sound. So, that makes sense to me. So including the T sound in schizophrenia or schizotypal is more in line with the original pronunciation of it. I wonder what people in, well, I'll get into the history. I'm pretty sure the term schizotypal or schizotypal, maybe I'll pronounce it schizotypal. (laughs) 
maybe that sounds better to me. Uh, as I, you know, I, I guess I'm so swayed by Merriam-Webster dictionary. It's, it's a typo. I mean, if they're saying it, that, I mean, you know, usually they're pretty buttoned up about this sort of thing. So maybe I'll maybe I'll start saying schizotypal. I've been swayed. Now, you know, I've been yammering for a long time about how to pronounce it, and I, I think it's important for a number of reasons. One, when we're talking about these sorts of things, I think it's helpful to have some sort of consensus about how to say these things. It helps with communication between clinicians and researchers. But also, I think this word, when you see it, it it, it doesn't lend itself to an easy interpretation of how to pronounce it. And I, I'll just speak from my own personal experience for the first part of my career as a clinician. Whenever I would see this word, just by the sheer fact that I didn't know how to pronounce it, I would kind of avoid the whole topic. <laughs> and I think that, you know, it's not great, but I, I think that that's a common barrier to entry on this disorder. So I think talking about this is important. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, so let's get into the symptoms. So I'm going to provide a very detailed description with descriptions from individuals with schizotypal, schizotypal <laughs> in a bit, but I want to provide a quick summary of the symptoms in my words. So this is my way of describing it in a nutshell. Number one symptom is these individuals with schizotypal are typically very anxious due to paranoia and suspiciousness of others. The other thing about schizotypal is that some of the, and I'll get into this later, the symptoms, sometimes what I believe to be the core element of the disorder, if you just go by the DSM, they don't need to necessarily have that core element in order to qualify for the diagnosis, which I think is a problem, which is part of my hot take on this topic. But to me, in order to have schizotypal, you have to have this extreme excessive social anxiety due to suspiciousness of what other people are thinking about themselves. So social anxiety, typically, when we're using that term, we're talking about people who have the classic extreme shyness, where they are worried they're going to make a fool out of themselves. They're worried about humiliating themselves. They're quite self-conscious. They go to a party, for example, and they're like, oh, everyone knows that I'm shy or everyone knows that I'm nervous or I, I said something stupid five minutes ago. I can't believe I said that or I didn't dress right or I have a zit on my face and everyone's looking at it. Okay. All of us can relate to that, but for people with full-blown social anxiety, they have an extreme version that interferes with their life, right? The, the difference, though, with schizotypal individuals is their social anxiety is not not because they think there's something wrong with them. Also in this category, you would include avoidant personality individual. Avoidant personality disordered individuals believe that there's something deeply wrong with them. So you and there's and I've talked about that in the deep dive on avoidant that you could consider the uh, spectrum between social anxiety uh, the the upper end of it is with avoidant personality disorder. It, it depends on how you look at it. But with schizotypal individuals, these people are socially anxious. They're worried about going to a party or going to work or interacting with other people because they believe 
that other people are judging them constantly, that other people are uh, you know, rejecting them secretly, or they will interpret everything as a rejection. Like if they're at a party and they're talking to someone and uh, you know, say the schizotypal person says something about work. They're like, yeah, you know, I work at Microsoft or something. And the other person changes the subject because they're distracted or they don't care about where you work or whatever. And the reason as to why the person changed the subject was just because of some random reason. But the schizotypal person will interpret that as clearly, without any shadow of a doubt, clearly that person doesn't like me and judges me because of who I am or because I work at Microsoft. That person is a total jerk face for changing the subject because clearly they don't care about who I am or, you know, they're they they hate me and everyone else here does too that that person across the room at the party they looked at me a little funny even though they hadn't but they looked at me a little funny and they're judging me and everyone here judges me and they're all talking about me behind my back it's paranoia it's suspiciousness it's this assumption that everyone is judging them on a constant basis and i've treated people who have had this and it's quite pervasive it's very uh, rigid in their belief system. It's hard to dislodge this belief system from them. And to me, this is really the core of schizotypal personality disorder. So these individuals with this social anxiety, it, uh, and it's funny to call it social anxiety, but a paranoid version, suspicious version of social anxiety, it does not abate with familiarity, meaning that the more they know, you know, if you have a shy person or even a socially anxious person, in all likelihood, the more they get to know someone, the less anxious they become because they get reassurance or they just feel secure with the individual. They have experience. They, they have trust there. The person with, now the person with avoidant personality disorder might not feel that way with familiarity, or it'll take extreme levels of familiarity for the avoidant personality disorder individual to feel not socially anxious around other people. For people with schizotypal, it typically, particularly people who have very high levels of schizotypal, will not feel less socially anxious when they get to know someone, even if it's their spouse or someone like that. Sometimes they do. It depends on the degree. But at the very least, say you have social anxiety, just classic social anxiety, and your first day at work, you're shy, you're terrified, you think everyone's looking at you. And then you get to know a couple people at work people that work close with you. And over the span of a couple of years, you feel comfortable with those people and you, you no longer feel socially anxious around those people. Well, with people with schizotypal, that does not happen. Even though they've worked side by side with individuals for a couple of years, there's been a lot of interactions. There's been a lot of evidence that the other person is not secretly judging them. They will not believe that. They will continue to believe that these individuals are thinking negative thoughts about them and it's unfair. So with social anxiety, they believe other people have negative thoughts about them, but they think that it's deserved. You know, they think that, yes, of course, everyone is looking at me and thinks I'm a complete idiot because I am a complete idiot. For people with schizotypal, they don't see it that way. They think it's it's all unfair. All this made up judgment that they believe people are, uh, you know, having about them they believe that it's unfair. The other thing about this is that when you walk around assuming that everyone is judging you all the time, you're going to act a little funny and you might even get angry and off-putting to other people, right? Because of all these ideas in your mind, which will produce 
the thing that you are worried about. You know, the individual gets a new job with schizotypal and none, no one is thinking negatively about the schizotypal individual. And uh, yet the individual with schizotypal assumes everyone is thinking all these negative thoughts. And thus, every day that they go to work, they're quiet, they're off-putting, they're short with people, they have a short fuse, you know, they will snip at people, you know, they, they seem they're in a bad mood often, they isolate themselves. Well, over time, the coworkers are going to start treating this individual and thinking negative thoughts about this individual, and they'll treat this individual negatively or re- will actually start rejecting that individual, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy for that individual with schizotypal. You know what I mean? So it, it confirms it. So some, sometimes the schizotypal person individual will engineer their life in a way that actually agrees with their assumptions that weren't necessarily true in the beginning. So as a result, schizotypal people are, I guess I'm just committing to the schizotypal pronunciation. (laughs) Um, So often because of this, these individuals are a loner. They'll be labeled a loner or they'll think of themselves as being a loner, but they wish they were not. So this is the different difference between schizoid or schizoid. So that's another thing. Usually you pronounce it schizoid. (laughs) but it should be schizoid, should it not? Anyway, and ski, I say skizoid, but schiz, anyway, well, we'll get to that when we get to that deep dive, I guess. But with schizoid personality disordered individuals, the label is applied to individuals who are loners, who like to be alone and aren't interested in relationships, not as a defense, but because they just inherently do not want relationships with other people. Whereas avoidant and schizotypal individuals, they do want relationships with others, but it's a defense to separate themselves from others because of the the assumptions that they have, the pervasive distortions that they have about other people. So schizotypal, schizotypal, schizotypal personality or individuals tend to be loners or maybe one or two people that they have a relationship with. But it, the people that I've treated with schizotypal, there was no one. They're, they they lived alone. They might have had a relative that they would answer the phone. But aside from that, there was no one else. And often they couldn't work because of the disorder. They would get fired or they would be too. Because the other thing about this is that you become quite depressed, which I'll get into later. Because it's, you know, it's a pretty hard life when you have this disorder. So they often have no friends, no relationships or very few. They often live alone and they will avoid work that involves working with other people or they will avoid work altogether. The second symptom area I want to get into is what we'll call odd beliefs and perceptions. Usually people with schizotypal have this, if not always in my conceptualization. This is kind of a grab bag category that I'll get into more detail later. But in summary, these individuals with schizotypal will typically have odd beliefs, like they will heartily believe in very odd conspiracy theories. They will potentially have magical thinking, like they might believe that they have telepathy or they have a special power that where they can talk to trees or trees want to talk to them. And they might have what we might call mild hallucinations and mild delusions, but not full-blown psychosis. So some of you might be thinking, well, doesn't this sound like psychosis? Doesn't it sound like uh, schizophrenia? And I'll delineate quite elaborately between these two. But for now, let's just say that people with schizotypal are prone to what I'm going to call mild hallucinations or mild delusions. Again, it's a, it's a little problematic even to call them hallucinations or delusions, but I'll get into more detail later. 
The third symptom area I want to talk about is what we'll call odd behaviors. Usually people with schizotype will have odd behaviors, like they will speak in odd ways, or they will dress in odd ways, or they will walk in odd ways. So that's another area which I'll get into more specifics later. Number four is that these individuals typically will have odd emotional expressions, either flat or constricted, meaning very little emotion shown or felt, or they will have inappropriate to the situation emotions, or they will have emotions that seem to happen very quickly in very odd ways. And I'll get into why people with this disorder have that, or at least my model of understanding that. The number five symptom area is that all these symptoms will cause problems. And this is important because you can have someone that is a little paranoid and they have some odd beliefs and they have some odd behaviors and you know they have some odd emotional expressions but if it doesn't cause problems in their life significant problems then they don't qualify for the disorder and we might call these individuals having schizotypal traits and i know people like this i believe i mean i can't diagnose my friends but i could hypothesize about it but yeah people who have full blown schizotypal will have a lot of problems because of the disorder it really does interfere with their life at work with their relationships with their emotional life with everything it really is quite debilitating for example a study by skodal and colleagues in 2002 they found that people with schizotypal had significant impairment in employment home life education and relationships so because of their schizotypal it was hard for them to work or they couldn't work at all they had a hard time in their home life with their spouses or with kids it's actually pretty rare for schizotypal people to even want to have kids but it depends also it's hard for them in education at school and high school and beyond and in relationships, attachments, this kind of thing. They found that 40% of the patients with schizotypal personality disorder had global assessment of functioning scores below 50 at the time of assessment. So what does this mean? Well, in the past, in particular, I don't know if we still use this scale, but during you know before DSM-5, it was common for us to rate people on a global assessment of functioning or a, what we call a GAF score, G-A-F score, with people at the higher end having very few impairments and difficulties because of their symptoms or no you know problems because of their symptoms, down to zero, meaning that they have a lot of problems because of their disorder. And so what they found was that about half had a GAF score of below 50. Well, what does that mean? Well, that mean at, at about 45 to 50, 40 to 50, this means that the individual has serious symptoms and serious impairment as opposed to slight, mild, or moderate. So the GAF score at the very high end of the scale, the individual will have slight symptoms and slight impairment. And then further down, you have mild symptoms and mild impairment. And then you have moderate symptoms and moderate impairment. And below 50, you have serious symptoms and serious impairment. So what do we mean by serious symptoms and serious impairment? Well, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder, but I think you can get the gist of it. Now, below, when you start going into the 30s on the GAF, the 20s, the 10s, we're talking about people who have full-blown psychosis, who are in danger of hurting themselves and other people. So they have serious symptoms and serious impairment, but in all likelihood, most people with schizotypal, before they get support and treatment, do not have such full-blown 
symptoms that cause them to be completely cut off from reality in their minds, complete psychosis, and also in danger of hurting themselves or others. Could someone schizotypal be in that position? Absolutely, but typically they're not. And also the researchers found that this level of impairment, the serious symptoms and serious impairment, remains stable over a two-year time span. So, and, and that's my experience with schizotypal, as opposed to other disorders that can kind of have a cycle to it. People with schizotypal have their symptoms persist over time because it has to do with their personality, right? And it's really hard for them as individuals without treatment, without help from the outside to modulate their symptoms and their issues. And I think this is another reason as to why we don't hear about this disorder. So let me talk about that real, well, let me talk about the sixth symptom area, which is often left off of the symptom list, which I think is a pretty important one, which is that these individuals are not happy. They're not enjoying their lives. These people are truly suffering. Now, you could argue that everyone with a disorder in the DSM has this, but I feel like it's important to point out. It's something that I find that scientists and researchers and professors, they don't emphasize enough. If you have this disorder, I'm guessing some of you listening might, you know that this disorder does not enhance your life. It might give you some strengths and some uh, positives, if you will, but in all likelihood, it's it's really it really does cause a lot of suffering, a lot of isolation, a lot of suffering. I mean, just imagine that you're walking around thinking that everyone is judging you on a constant basis in this really unfair way. It'll get under your skin. Essentially, these individuals are believing that everyone is being emotionally abusive to them, that everyone hates them for really unfair reasons. It it starts to get under your skin. You start to feel like there's something wrong with you and you get depressed and anxious and potentially suicidal, you know, which we'll get into later in terms of the statistics on that. Another reason as to why this isn't discussed in the clinical literature very often or in graduate school, like, for example, for me, I don't remember a single professor talking about schizotypal. It's likely that it was mentioned at least once or twice. I can't remember everything that was discussed, but I don't remember any module on schizotypal. I don't remember any experts on schizotypal talking about it. I don't remember any presentations. Maybe one happened, but there's much more attention on other personality disorders that might even have lower prevalence rates in our society. So it's it's weird that it doesn't get talked about as much given how common, how prevalent it is, right? We're talking conservatively 3 4% of the population. You know, that's a lot of people. But another reason as to why it's not discussed very often is because these individuals don't typically go to therapy. They don't typically ask for help for obvious reasons, right? You know, they're, they're terrified of interacting with people and presume a lot of negativity in the other people's minds. And so they assume that the therapist will think very bad thoughts about them and judge them. I mean, even people that don't have this disorder often will assume that uh, erroneously. Well, not always erroneously, hopefully <laughs> erroneously, because, you know, some therapists are pretty judgmental, but generally not, right? I would say the vast majority are not. So these individuals don't seek help, and thus there's not a lot of talk about these individuals. The other thing is that because of the lack of training and the lack of awareness, there's a lot of people who end up in therapy for other reasons with schizotypal. They typically will show up with depression or anxiety, or they might even be forced into therapy, which is the case for me with some of the people that I've treated with schizotypal because they were having issues with work or something. And 
when they show up in our offices, because they don't necessarily present with the classic symptoms, they don't talk about them directly, it's hard for a lot of clinicians to even know to assess for this. So it's something that is often under the radar, which I consider to be a huge disservice to this population as a clinician myself, I wonder about, you know, I've been a clinician for 25, 26 years or so, and I worry that, did I come across people with this disorder? And I, I just didn't know to look for it. I didn't ask the right questions. It wasn't on my list of possibilities. And thus, did I not, because if you miss this, it would be hard to treat these individuals because there's a lot of misinterpretations that you can get from their behavior. You can look at them and think that it's something else or that they don't really want therapy, that sort of thing. And I, I just wish that there was more awareness about this. And this is partially why I'm doing this deep dive. So the rest of this deep dive will just be for patrons of the podcast. And so if you want to hear the rest of it, and just to give you an idea of how long this deep dive is going to be, I'm on page three of 71 pages in my notes. <laughs> so I'm guessing it's going to be a little long. It's interesting. I mean, there's so much to get into. Like I said, all the different experiences of the different symptoms, how do you assess it, the cause, which I think is really fascinating. In my deep dive investigation, it gave me a chance to really think about all the people I've treated with this and look at all the research. And uh, there's a lot of models of understanding the etiology of this disorder and gave me a chance to really develop a rich timeline or a flow chart as to how this disorder develops because it, it's complicated. I think there are different phases to it that really explain the different di the different symptoms that are common to this disorder. Because if you if you just look at the disorder symptomless, you're like, huh? What, what is? And also, I want to really clearly differentiate it from psychosis and schizophrenia, which I, I think is a, an important thing to do. But anyway, if you want to hear this full episode, it's probably going to be a number of parts, by the way. You have to become a patron of the podcast by, by going to patreon.com. When you become a patron, you get access, you'll get access to this episode along with several other episodes, hundreds of episodes that are only available to patrons and do so now if you want and otherwise take care of yourself because you deserve it you really really do mm -hmm.